Welcome to the Lexington Unitarian Fellowship on this, our Sunday morning service, April 26th, 1959. You are most welcome here. Whoa, wait a minute, Brian. What are you talking about? 1959? Isn't it 2020? Before the world changed drastically, as part of our 70th anniversary celebrations, we were looking at recreating the oldest service that we could find in our archives. And the one we found was April 26th, 1959. And so we found that order of service like, oh, wouldn't this be wonderful to, to read some of the traditional prayers, many of which uh, still called upon a Lord God Almighty, even though Unitarians at the time didn't affirm either a gendered God or any notion of God or a traditional God or any God at all. Um, and to sing some of the traditional hymns as well, O life that maketh all things new. Um, and so we, we saw this as an opportunity for us to uh, dig deep into who we are, our history here as the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington, back when we were the Lexington Unitarian Fellowship, before the merger of the Unitarians and Universalists. Uh, to dig into that history, to learn a bit about who we were, but also to look at the wonderful ways in which we have grown and changed as a living tradition since then. Uh, that's one of the common things we say about Unitarian Universalism. We're a living tradition. Uh, things change over time. Um, nothing is static, uh, which can be a little unsettling, um, but it's also very wonderful and still a radical idea for religion. And so um, we wanted to look at that history and honor it, um, because that's part of being a living tradition too, is honoring the history. Um, and by honoring it, you look at the things and you affirm the things that were not so great, and you lift up the wonderful things that held this community together as well. And so here I am in the traditional regalia of a Unitarian minister from the 40s and 50s, and of course a little before and after that as well. And here I have the traditional Geneva robe with the poofy sleeves, uh, which comes to us from our Puritan ancestors. Um, they would typically also wear uh, preaching tabs, which were precursors to the, the collars that you would see many ministers and priests wear today. Um, and then this thing around my neck is the academic hood. Unitarian ministers were known for wearing their academic hoods as a symbol of their authority and their education. And so some people look at these vestments and they go, wow, that's a little weird. That's kind of scary. But they don't need to be scary. They need to be, for us, a reminder and symbol of our rich tradition and legacy. Oftentimes, Unitarian Universalists are accused of being a new religion that sprang out of nowhere. Well, that's not the case. We have a history that goes all the way back. Uh, and I would even argue that the seeds of Unitarianism and Universalism were present every time someone dared to say, I think otherwise. And so this is part of what the celebration would have been. However, you probably wouldn't have seen me wearing this uh, in 1959. This would have been reserved for our more traditional churches, our larger churches, such as All Souls in DC, with that wonderful Gothic architecture. It just calls for formality. But here in Lexington, Kentucky, at the Lexington Unitarian Fellowship in 1959, you probably would have seen the minister wearing something a little more like this. Well, and there you have it. Gone is the formal regalia, and you probably would have seen a Unitarian minister wearing something like this more often than not on Sunday mornings. Uh, you could have been any sport coat, but instead I dusted off my tweed, which was very popular then. Uh, it could have been a regular tie, but I've got a bow tie going, which many Unitarian ministers wore, such as this photo of one of my heroes, the Reverend James Reeb. Uh, and of course, the horn rim glasses, which are back in style these days, which is excellent. So for a male Unitarian minister in the 1950s, you probably would have seen something a little more 
like this. And of course, there's plenty of other examples. Here's some photos of Meadville Lombard students and what they were wearing. Here's one smoking a pipe, uh, which seemed uh, uh, very dapper uh, for the time and very traditional. Uh, you can tell it's from the 1950s. Um, but you would have seen various configurations of these clothes um, and, of course, what I'm wearing here. And so, of course, in our exploration of who we were as the Lexington Unitarian Fellowship back in 1959, but uh, back to our founding as well in 1950, we got to dig into a little bit of our history and who we were. So back in 1950, um, a minister by the name of Robert Weston, uh, who was the minister at First Church in Louisville, uh, met with a group of Unitarians who wanted to form a fellowship here in Lexington, Kentucky. And so this was part of a larger movement called the Fellowship Movement, uh, which went from the 1948 to 1967. And it was a concerted effort by the president of the American Unitarian Association at the time, Frederick May Elliott, uh, to uh, really empower lay people and, uh, and to form congregations uh, when they couldn't necessarily afford a minister or, or there wasn't a minister willing to go to that part of the country or that region or just a minister wasn't available for whatever reason. And so between that period, Frederick May Elliott created this program where fellowships were springing up all over the country. And in some years, there were hundreds of fellowships that were being formed. And many look back on this and they say that Frederick May Elliott um, saved Unitarianism in America uh, because it was struggling deeply um, at that time when the fellowship movement started. And so this congregation, with the help of the Reverend Robert T. Weston and uh, the people here in Lexington who wanted to form a fellowship, uh, planted the congregation here. And in 1950, they started to meet. And it would start by meeting in people's homes, and they rented out a building, and then they had the first building, and then they had the Republican meeting house, and of course, uh, the wonderful sanctuary that we are in. And that's a very quick history of how things came together. And that spans over 10 years uh, of them meeting in various places, and of course, building the sanctuary that we meet in uh, when we're normally together. And so, um, the fellowship movement um, really empowered Unitarians to live out their faith in new and creative ways. And so when looking back, you can always tell when a congregation comes out of the fellowship movement. Even though we call ourselves a church here at UUCL, originally we were the Lexington Unitarian Fellowship. And the characteristics of fellowships are very clear. Uh, they have a very do-it-yourself mentality. Uh, we don't need any higher authority. We don't need any uh, help from the association. We can do this ourselves. And of course, there's a commitment. It's up to the laity. A minister isn't going to help. Regional executives aren't going to help. The association in Boston is not going to help. It is up to all of us as a congregation to get things done. So there's that do-it-yourself and that commitment, and they tended to be very direct. Um, that's a characteristic that we found in fellowships throughout history. They're very clear, very direct about how they feel about things um, and where they're going to go with their mission and vision. And they're resilient. They can get through a lot. And that is one of the main reasons we want to lift up part of our history as a fellowship, is that do-it-yourself, commitment, directness, and resilience. These are characteristics that we do have a lot of in our DNA here at the Lexington UU Church. And, um, you know, before that, the Lexington Unitarian Fellowship. 
Um, these were things that were sewn into our DNA and had that sort of can-do attitude. And these are things we really need to lift up from our history and realize that they're still here with us, that it is up to us as a congregation, even with a minister, uh, even with stronger ties with the association in Boston, it really is up to us. And so those committed volunteers uh, and, and lay people, they got together, they planted the church here. And I've told this story often that when they picked out the land that we're currently on, uh, they mortgaged their homes to, in order to afford it in order to make this possible. Now that is a level of commitment that is absolutely astounding. And so why do we even talk about this history? Yes, we wanna hear about resilience. Yes, we wanna hear about commitment. Yes, we wanna be inspired to have a do-it-yourself attitude. As I'm recording this right now, our Seven Acres uh, crew is out there pulling weeds and uh, tending to our beautiful grounds. That is commitment, even in this time. They're keeping their distance from one another and still doing the good work of the church. And so that's a challenge to all of you. How have you helped uh, recently for this congregation? But we look at all of this and uh, we just, we sort of wonder, um, what is it that we can really learn from our history other than those characteristics and traits? Well, there's one thing I wanna lift up and it has everything to do with what we heard from Margaret Walker in her uh, poem, Lineage, earlier. Now, of course, she's speaking of her grandmothers and she's definitely speaking of her grandmothers who were slaves. Um, but the reason it's called Lineage is that it's, it's really about how we are in conversation with our ancestors, uh, with those that are a part of our lineage time and time again. She's having a very clear, direct conversation with her grandmothers in that poem. And so for us as a living tradition, uh, oftentimes there's a temptation, and especially in the wider American culture, to always be onward and upward forever and ever, amen. That was an old Unitarian saying, and, um, and I know the Methodists adopted it as well. Onward and upward forever and ever, amen. And um, uh, there's something that is beautiful about that, and yet there's something that is not healthy or helpful at all about that. We want our world, we want our communities, we want our church and our personal lives to continue to evolve and grow and spiritually mature. But we also have to honor the past. We have to look at the past, look at those ancestors, some of whom are still alive in this congregation and with us, that helped pick out this land, that helped make this community possible. We have to look at all of that and steward it. And not steward it as in, oh, let's put it in an archival box and just tuck it away, though as someone who used to work in a library, that is very important. What I mean by steward it is to bring it close. Bring it much closer to our lives and our experience as a community. The good, the bad, the things we don't want to talk about. Because by being it close, it becomes very intimate. It becomes very near and dear to us. It's like family history that you uncover and suddenly your understanding of your family has changed radically, sometimes in a very wonderful, uh, uh, beautiful way, and other times in tragic, heartbreaking ways. And yet when it comes close, it changes us. And uh, the hope is that it changes us for the better, whether it's good or bad. And so this is why we lift up this history. This is why we dust off the old hymnals that we uh, would sing. Uh, this congregation, the Lexington Unitarian Fellowship, used the 1935 edition of the Beacon Service and Songbook um, when they first started meeting. And it's full of wonderful old prayers, and I just want to share one with you right now. 
from Henry Van Dyke. These are the things I prize and hold of dearest worth. Light of the sapphire skies, peace of the silent hills, shelter of forests, comfort of the grass, music of birds, murmur of little rills, shadows of cloud that swiftly pass, and after showers, the smell of flowers, and of the brown earth, and best of all, along the way, friendship and mirth. Now you can find something uh, in that hymnal that we would certainly use today, and that's one such reflection. But there it is, right there finding joy in the present moment, finding joy in the entirety of life. And uh, that is why we look at our history as Unitarian Universalists. We don't have um, a set book of scripture like many other traditions. What we have is our stories. What we have is our lives. What we have are the stories that we've jotted down about who we are as a congregation. And so in digging out some of our history, we find some wonderful photos of our time together. And I'm going to begin with one of my absolute favorite photos of the history of this congregation. And here it is. And you can tell, um, part of me wishes that they wore these clothes to church every Sunday. It's, it looks like it was either in the Loudoun Avenue Church or in the Republican Meeting House. And they're doing a play. The RE program is doing a play uh, of the Crucible. Um, so they didn't dress like this all the time. Uh, it's just a moment, a snapshot from religious education life. And then, of course, this lovely photo in front of the Republican meeting house of the members of the congregation. And here they are, our ancestors, our lineage. Some of you knew these people. Some of you loved these people. And some of you um, uh, don't necessarily know who they were, uh, but they helped make this community possible. They put their hearts and souls in this community, and that love and commitment that they put into this community is still with us. It is still with us today. And so for us, we are here to learn from that. That our ancestors couldn't have imagined the time that we're currently living in, right? I know you've heard it so many times, this difficult time, this hard time, this concerning time, but no one could have ever imagined we'd be living in a time like this, the time of COVID-19, a global pandemic that is radically changing how we do things to keep ourselves healthy and safe. Uh, but their love and commitment can still be there to show us the way, to show us that even though this community has been through countless hard times, even though our faith has been through countless hard times, that the light of our faith can never be extinguished, that there's always hope, there's always a way through. And so that is the story and the beauty of this congregation. That is what we can learn right here, right now, in this moment. And so let that be our work uh, as we are still sheltering in place at home, limiting our contact, and keeping safe and healthy. Let that be our work. Blessed be. Amen.